Hey everyone, welcome to Bubba the Hunter Podcast with your host, Robin Ryan. What do you say, Ryan? Um, what do I say? I don't know. We were talking about, so we've come back. I guess we'll let the audience know. We recorded the main yeah. podcast and then we're adding the intro. So, yeah, you know, you got, we talked about snakehead fishing, which uh, is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, we got uh, Mr. Mark Nicholas on uh, for the main uh, segment to talk about his uh, snakehead fishing accomplishments and how he got into it and a little bit of what he knows about it and how he learned uh, about the invasive fish that snakehead are. Uh, Certainly anywhere in the United States, I think, certainly up in the northern snakehead. We got around the Maryland, Eastern Shore, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. So it was certainly a good talk. And uh It'll be nice to generate a, a lot of feedback on this because, Ryan, as you know, we uh, our snakehead opinions might differ a little bit, but it could certainly generate some uh, interesting opinions, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know where I was going with that was that you know we recorded it. I was out of my element, no soapbox to get on whatsoever. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge fisherman to begin with, and most of my fishing's done in streams or Lake Erie or the ocean, I guess. So, um, you know, the snakehead stuff's, you know, up your alley, and, but it has piqued my interest. Um, you know, certainly after learning about them, you know, the big predator they are and kind of sneaking around in kayaks and, and throwing, uh, some topwater lures and buzz baits. Um, but anyway, I dove into, uh, a little bit of research after the fact, because, uh, we were talking about, you know, snakeheads uh marcus actually has a shirt printed called let them live um Mm, he's donating some of the proceeds back to uh, someone to do some research on snakeheads and then you know i having you know coming from the science world if you will and and, uh you know the background of which i used to have where you know you follow the scientists and that i started looking into a lot of the research and the u.s fish and wildlife put out and some other places um it's snakeheads are in fact very invasive, <laughs> uh, which is controversial. Maybe not controversial, you know, because you and I talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, it's not controversial. Yeah. It's like uh, so, you know, wild boars, wild pigs are are invasive. Um, they will, you know, uproot uh, the habitat. I mean, literally uproot the habitat. They get in and root, and and they breed a lot, and they have big litters and. I mean, there's not very many natural predators aside from, you know, in the South, some alligators and some humans and uh, maybe in Florida where you have the uh, the Black Panther type of deal. Um, but not a whole lot of predators that are taking out the wild boars and they can cause major, major destruction. I have been on farms that were, you know, somebody's pride and joy, whitetail, turkey, quail, type paradise, especially in Georgia, uh, Alabama, uh, some of those places. And, and the hogs have come in and have wiped them out, man. I mean, they just, they, they eat all the eggs, they eat the small critters, they kill what they, whatever's in their way, rabbits, uh, you know, quail, eat the quail eggs, eat the turkeys, turkey eggs, turkey poults, if they can catch them, they'll eat anything. They're just major, major, major destruction. And like I said, they breed a lot and there ends up being a bunch of them. So a lot of ranchers and farmers, you know, in the South, they, they trap, they hunt, they do, you know, everything under the sun. And here's the thing, they don't really ever eradicate them. I mean, they can certainly thin them down and there's a balance where they can have whitetail and turkey and quail and hogs. 
but nobody really likes them. They don't want them. Uh, they've just caused more damage to the ecosystem than they're worth having. Yeah, I think it's certainly worth noting that, you know, that's a good, a good point. It's undeniable what the hogs can do, right? You've seen, you've said yourself, you've seen the uh, devastation it can create to some of these farms firsthand. Right. Um, you know, it just doesn't seem that that is, it, from my standpoint, uh, that is the case uh, with snakehead. And it's just not that evident if they are really creating that big of an issue. And in fact, you know, I've said it before on the podcast, and I think uh, Mark talks about a little bit on our upcoming segment here that we're catching from a standpoint of largemouth bass and snakehead. We're, we're catching them in the same float, same area. At right. Time. Well, so, so some of my research you know, it turned I, up that they're not eating largemouth bass a lot, but what they're doing is competing for the same food. And snakehead yeah, is going to win, right? So. Over time, I guess here's my only argument. Well, I don't, I mean, what, what evidence shows that the snakehead is definitely going to win though? With this is much survival. Uh, the thing's like a freaking, uh, tank with gills (laughs) and fangs. (laughs) I mean, it, it doesn't even resemble a largemouth bass. You know what I mean? You can stick, you can stick your hand in a largemouth bass mouth and it's not going to cut you. This thing, I cut it off. But I think a, a point worth taking out of that is you can definitely, yeah, the largemouth bass, you can stick your whole fist down in through, but the mouth on a snakehead, even a big one, like a, a, a friend of mine, Jeff just caught recently, he caught a 34 and a half inch, uh, 10 pound snakehead. This, that's a pretty big, big snakehead. They're not going to grow much longer than that. Typically they'll, they'll get fatter, but the head and net is really not. And in fact, we've kind of toned down the size of our top water lures just for that fact, because we were getting dismissed strikes a lot. You know, the head just doesn't open up like a, a large mouth. Sure. You're not going to be able to fit your fist in there, obviously, because one, you could get cut, but just the size too. It's definitely not as the same size as a large mouth, but yeah. Right. So in a, from a hunting world, it, so what you guys are, here's, here's my argument. And again, I'm not a scientist, yeah. but there are scientists that dedicate, you know, their 40, 50, 60 hour a week jobs to just this. You know what I mean? Just that. Trying to figure out whether snakeheads are in fact good for the ecosystem or in fact not. And, you know, it, what we're what you guys are talking about, it's kind of emotion field and it's observation data, right? But the problem, and I, I guess maybe I should have uh, <clears throat> Googled it or whatever, but, you know, how many hundreds if not thousands of miles of shoreline are the snakeheads inhabiting through the potomac and all the other uh watersheds the chesapeake bay watershed that they're floating around in um that you guys aren't fishing or aren't observing that you know the scientists are on a daily basis so i mean that you know observation data although is very important and you know and from a hunting standpoint that's always you know duly noted type of deal but at the end of the day, I mean, when you're talking deer or any other critter, you know, you've got pellet counts, trail camera surveys, and deer, you have fawn recruitment studies, and you have uh, vehicle accident data, um, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, it's just, and it's not just one person, it's a team of people, and then colleges and universities and, and students, you know, performing their doctorate degree studying this stuff, and then they come up with this. And trust me, there's not a state agency out there that doesn't want to find another game fish or another, you know, game animal to pursue because it's yet another license or permit that they can sell for it. But so, you know, 
it's almost would be counterproductive for them just to stick their nose in the air and say, yeah, we don't want you to, you guys to have fun because, you know, it, it has to all work out. It has to make sense. Um, and from everything that, that I'm reading right now, they are extremely invasive. And, you know, it's, it's something that really highly, highly, highly needs to be monitored. That's exactly what they're doing. Now, with that said, um, they're fairly new in the world of science. You know, I think uh, 2004 may have been the, the first time people started seeing the snakehead rear its quote unquote ugly head. So uh, in the science world, th that's not a long time, you know, so I guess. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And some of the studies, too, that we did come across on the Web uh, were 10 years apart. And there's so many other factors involved in 10 years. I mean, it's not just snakehead factors. It could be uh, water, you know, the rain that we had the, between that increment, that 10-year increment, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these different things that could impact it, not just the snakehead from a couple of studies that I've seen. So, yeah, it's it certainly, and, uh, you know, what, 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 where the science goes, unfortunately, our our buddy Fauci has just ruined me on hearing the term science yeah, I know. and follows science because what a joke he has been and everybody associated with him. But that's another topic. So when I hear follow the science, I, I, I just cringe, unfortunately, because of Fauci. I think the only thing to keep in mind there is that there's a lot of politics involved in that. And when we're talking snakeheads and white-tailed deer and turkeys and habitat and rough grouse, you know, that, yeah. there's not a whole lot of politics. Um, you know, on the on my, I would hope on our other, I mean, there's some, but it's not at that level. Right. Um, but on the other, yeah. on the other side, remember on, on the Ryan Fear podcast, we had Dr. Uh, Michael Chamberlain on who is one of the leading wildlife biologists for turkeys in the country. And, you know, some of the yeah. knowledge he drops and the science he shares is just absolutely groundbreaking. So that's what you and I were talking about. And, you know, it's give something, some discussion for the listeners, but, uh, I was reading, I read a study, an article just, I don't know, last week on cats. And it was a cat biologist in, in Arizona uh, who had been studying cats. I can't remember for how many years, but a lot. Uh, I mean, every day, like literally running them with dogs, treeing them, tranquilizing them, putting colors, radio colors on them and studying them every day. He knew he had more cat information, more cat data, big mountain lions is what we're talking in Arizona than anybody. I mean, and it was for a long time. Don't quote me because I will share this with you, but I'm pretty sure it was over 20 years of cat data that he'd been, you know, following cats around the state of Arizona. I mean, he could tell you the ins and the outs and what had happened. And it happens a lot. And this, this is one thing that really gets, gets me thinking, you know, the, the state agencies put it out for public opinion because we have, we sell license, state sell license, it drives revenue. And because hunters buy a license, their public comment is worthy, worth noting. And in a lot of cases, public comment has canceled the hunt. Um, it's canceled the bear hunt in New Jersey. It's canceled the cat hunt in California. It's canceled dove hunting in, in New Jersey, I think as well. And I know there's a few other states that I just don't have on the top of my head that uh, you know, Grizz in, in British Columbia or one of, you know, one of the can Canadian provinces, I'm pretty sure it's BC, um, you know, and it's all due to public comment. And man, that's crazy. Like, and like I mentioned to you via text, you know, that's really the only thing in, that I'm aware of. And um, maybe some listeners out there can straighten us out, but where else does public comment come into play? I mean, we listen to the experts on anything like, you know, 
like I think I said to you in a text, I don't think we ever said, you know, hey, Bubba, uh, what do you think about the shuttle program? You know, like <laughs> let's invest twenty five billion dollars into the shuttle, the, 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 the shuttle program or uh, and, you know, ask Bubba what he thinks we should do. You know, so it's amazing to me how it, it's we're so quick to. And then on the other side, you know, because there are a lot of defenders of. Uh, take Marcus, for example, of, you know, hey, we should catch snakeheads. We should be allowed to throw them back uh, so they're there to enjoy. You know, who cares about the consequences or uh, the consequences aren't so bad. But yet whenever the public or whatever happens, state agencies end up canceling the bear hunt, canceling the cat hunt, then it's like we have to listen to the science because there's not been any science whatsoever that says cancel the bear hunt, cancel the uh the cat hunt quite controversially in California. I think the, the cat permits were like 350. They were allowed 350 cats a year. They canceled the hunt. Okay. So now you're not allowed to sell any cat permits, any big mountain lion permits in the state of California, but now the state's paying the U S fish and wildlife sharpshooters or professional hunters in my air quotes to come in and kill 350 cats. Now that makes a lot of sense. So we can't sell cat permits. We can't, it's illegal to hunt them, can't hunt them. So the public, so happy about that, but they still have to kill the cats because they cause a problem. So now we pay somebody to come in and hunt them, basically kill them. Yeah, nobody there's, knows. So there's not a whole lot of things that come out of California that makes right, sense. But Let's my, my that point right to now. that is us as sportsmen, it's so funny how, you know, it, it, the pendulum swings one way and we're so pissed off and ready to fight. And then it swings the other way. And we're like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? You know? So anyway, it's just like, we have to use common sense and I know you don't trust the science and some things I don't either, but in other things, I think it's, it's, it's worth trusting. Um, which, you know, can lead me to, I was, I meant to send you this earlier too, but one of my biggest, biggest, biggest invasive species and, I've written about it on social media. I've talked about it time and time again. You really want to light a fire on my butt and talk oh. yeah, and get me on a soapbox. <laughs> Start talking about the invasive species such as the feral cat. I mean, oh man, we might not, we'll have to save that for another. It is going to uh, be another episode there, but that sounds like a good There's, one. If we got any coming. experts out there that want to talk about that, listen, I, I'm I'm well versed in the statistics that the the, the freaking. Uh, ecosystem crushing four le four legged critters of the feral cat what they do and man we're going to go down that road and hang, uh, Ooh, hang on i can't hang wait onto your britches because let me tell you little uh whatever tinkerbell hanging out in the window ain't isn't so innocent <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait for that one well we're on the topic of snakeheads here let's establish this i am definitely for let them live i like mark's approach on that as we uh get into this segment you'll hear him talk about that and the and uh, the money he is generating from uh selling apparel with the let them live apparel so uh and you know it, it certainly should be known uh ryan and i probably have a little differing uh, view on i'm that. gonna change your opinion uh, on let them live and, and yeah, i promise you i will here's, never i will here's no. what I, i've been there i've been there i've seen you're it, not gonna oh, kill man, them all, it this, and you're not going to kill them all because of 
the, the way they reproduce, the way they spawn. You're not going to kill them all. They have very, high, right. very, very, very high success rates, and not enough people are fishing for them to 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 wipe out. Whoa. I mean, I can tell you there is plenty. There's of a people lot of people, but you you are thinking very <laughs> small scale. When you start talking, you yeah, must, maybe you, I promise you. Mark my words. Write it down on the calendar. In the next ten, I'm writing it in down. the next ten years. You're going to see. You'll probably see snakeheads almost everywhere and um you know there's going to be people fishing for them sure but they're going to be just like the hogs right you're not going to eradicate them they're just going to be part of the ecosystem that need managed so letting them live isn't the answer it's managing well it's and I, I think else. let's right management i get it yeah letting them when when i say let them live and i think when mark says let them live he can he can maybe clarify that when he talks um I mean, not just having do-gooders go down, do-gooder cairns going down to the bridge and just slaying them or going out there with a the bow and just slaying these fish and just throwing them up, stacking them, whacking them and stacking them and not even processing them. That's what I say. I say management. Go down there. You want to keep a few. They are a good table fare. Good. But throw throw the smaller, the maybe the, the biggest ones back and just keep that slot size. You know, keep keep it going. Uh, I that's what my definition of. Uh, I got you. See, uh, yeah, I'm a little so, bit different than you. I want to keep I'm, a couple for eating and throw the rest up on the bank. Those suckers can live oh. for two days. <laughs> <laughs> Hit them in the head with a hammer and throw them on the bank. We don't need them. Oh, we do. They are so. You you need to catch one. You come down and you catch. I know. One, I don't and then, care. And then maybe hog. you'll view it differently. I've shot wild hogs, and I know for sure they're a blast to hunt. I've shot them. I've hunted them. I've shot them over bait. I've hunted them with dogs. I don't, we, I know for sure. I don't want them on my property. All right. Well, I know I want snakehead out there to catch. They're fun to catch. I want my kids to be able to catch them. Uh, I want them to be a game fish. All right, well, and, with uh, that, that's for all okay, that. Well, so with that's that, fine. we're divided. We have a divided yeah. team here, folks. So with that, <laughs> let us know what yeah. you think. Um, I'm fine either way because I know how this is going to shake out when the dust settles. So, uh, oh. <laughs> um, like, you know, so let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what you think. And hey, get ready for feral cats because I'm bringing that too. <laughs> I can't wait. And, and in the meantime, before that, after you listen to this full episode, hey, remember to call the Bubba hotline. Leave us an, an idea what you think. What you think about Snakehead. Even if you're across the country somewhere, you haven't caught it, look up, see, watch some videos of uh, uh, Channel Marcus on his YouTube page or Instagram page. Call the Bubba hotline. We'll put you on. Let us know what you think or let us know if you don't want to be on 812-641-5501 or shoot us a text on that. Just let us know what you think. Uh, This this is a good episode and uh, generate some uh, good feedback, I think. So uh, let's uh, let's listen to uh, Channel Marcus on his segment and uh, see how that goes. I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Bubba out. All right, so our snakehead segment on Bubba the Hunter podcast. Here we are with Mark Nicholas, the pro staff for High Octane uh, Baits, and he has certainly uh, got a a following on Instagram for snakehead fishing, and uh, definitely some YouTube content too, Mark. So, uh, but I'll let you introduce yourself if you just want to go ahead and uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. All right, well, cool, man. Thank you, Rob. Uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on here, and. Yeah, yeah, I'm all about snakehead. I could talk it all day, all night. So, uh, but yeah, my name is Mark, uh, otherwise known as Cha Cha. Um, so yeah, I have an Instagram, you know, YouTube, TikTok, all that. Um, and the name on there is Chana Marcus Fishing. Um, but the orig- how the name started was so uh, Northern Snakehead. The scientific name for them is 
Chana Argus. Chana. There you go. I, I was going to ask you about the name on where that came from. So yeah, Chana, that is fitting. Perfect yeah. name. Yeah, so I had to do that. But nice. yeah, I mean, I've been fishing basically home all my life. And then uh, this is going on my third year of snakehead fishing. And I remember like the first time not even catching one. I didn't even know it was there. And I saw one like swirl and I'm just like, holy crap. I can't believe something <laughs> that big and powerful is in the water, like with me. So since then, like I immediately was in love and I was like, yeah, I need to like dedicate half my life to these things. You got the bug <laughs> for snakehead on that one. Were you, were, so were you just out fishing an area for, uh, for bass or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I just got my kayak was just like putting around some, uh, some creeks and yeah, just, just bass fishing. And I oh, saw what a way them. to catch your first snakehead. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually, I just saw it then. And then I was like, I need to learn how to like target mm. these. So then like the next week I was just out there like as much as possible until I got on one. Nice. So how did you like figure, figure them out or, you know, get the pattern of them? Um, was there any, you know, cause what I did, you know, go out to YouTube and there's a lot of, you know, some, a lot of good channels out there. Um, yeah. but a lot of good content. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it, they're, they're crazy fish, man. The pattern, you know, it from targeting them, the yeah. pattern can change any day, but, uh, or any hour really. Um, but I mean, yeah, a lot of YouTube, YouTube research, uh, a lot of research just on Google, just looking for info, like what people are using, like how fast are they working the lures, like, and they're living in creeks and these non-tidal ponds, like what water level am I looking for? Like, uh, what water temperature am I looking for? Um, and just finding out and gathering that information and just starting to put like, few pieces to the puzzle um but yeah i mean generally snakehead are like residing in areas that you know have low current um between five to one foot of water more so on that one to two foot of water and even as shallow as like six inches like you can find them in um, but yeah like stagnant uh shallow water definitely the number one spots to find them in and uh water temperature wise uh coming into the spring i'm looking for 55 degrees 55 degrees i know i can get one to bite the bite is not going to be on fire but i know that there is one or two that will be willing to bite and uh getting to like 60 65 degrees past 65 that bite can be on fire for sure mm, for sure yeah, I was I was curious on that. I've noticed it seemed to be about that sixty degree mark, but uh, and below that, it seems like especially in the wintertime, a lot of people will uh, just go out with minnows, stuff like that. Seems yeah. like that would be the only thing to get on. But uh, yeah, certainly they do seem to react a lot to uh, the ups and downs of the water temperature mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. So and and you mentioned the shallow water. Yeah, there's some in times that I've been in, like you know, basically just pull my kayak along and and i'll just it almost like jump them you know i'll be in like less than a foot of water and they just yeah. take off it's the craziest thing yeah. and then you'll just see them taking off but uh you know i'm curious uh, i see do, do you see any how like a carp potentially impacting there's some areas we go down that it just seems like they're carp all over the place 
Yeah. Do you see that in some areas that you you fish in where? Yeah. They might, this you know kind of shut down around when the carp start spawning. Yeah, my rule is is when I get to a spot and I see carp jumping, you know, yeah, like one after another, I'm moving to a different spot. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I just I think they get shell shocked because snakehead are naturally, even though they, you know, get big, like they're scary looking, all this and that, and they're predatory fish. They are very spooky. Like you get, you get ten feet away from them. Sometimes fifteen, you know, twenty feet away from them. If they see you, they'll they're gone. Um, mm. And with the carp splashed around, you know, another big fish causing all this ruckus. You know, they're getting close to them because they're just freaking out through the pads or the grass or whatever. So yeah, and that time is right about now when the carp are spawning as well. So they're gonna be. Uh, they're going to be prevalent in some areas. And my recommendation with that is if you see carp around, just uh, go to the next spot. Move on. Yeah. So let me ask this being the extreme novice and they've kind of piqued my curiosity. I like predator fish. Like it, then it it has that hunting element to it (laughs) when there's a predator type fish. So how long have they been around and like who, you know, who pioneered snake fishing? Is there somebody out there, like if you think about from a hunting perspective, obviously there's the Fred Bears and, you know, the guys that's been doing it forever, but it just seems like that snakehead fishing has just become a YouTube sensation here in the, what, the last couple of years maybe, or how long has this been, this uh, craze been going on? You know, not, not mainstream media craze, but uh, guys like yourselves behind the scenes that have been fishing for these creatures. How long has that been happening? Yeah, um, so they were introduced into Maryland in a pond in 2002, and then so they made it to... we're talking 20 years. Yeah, but like, it was just there in the pond, then they made it to the Potomac River system in 2004, um, but I mean, the craze form has honestly been very recently. Um, yeah. It's kind of been like exploding like rapid fire like one person finds them and he's like telling his buddy he's telling his buddies like yo you got to come catch this fish like they're crazy they're a ton of fun uh they're good to eat and you know there's a lot of them so who uh, put them in a pond and why um where do they come from so they are originally from uh in asia i know they're in china i know they're in indonesia um and i think russia as well um but so so i believe uh mark they were found they uh, supposedly as the story goes they were found in the crofton pond right is that correct so it's it's weird i've i went down that you know i go down through crofton not far from my house and uh what i know as a crofton pond it's not that big of a place so i feel like there might just been some uh you know some folks that knew that these were good table fare and felt like maybe they were you know going to keep some in there and just release them out there and then yeah from there wow that was in 2002 it just exploded from there how big is the crofton pond oh it's uh not that big at all um when when you think of a western pa pond that's what i think of for sure ryan i mean you know what somerset lake is so it's like this a very i don't know a uh a quarter of that if that of what somerset lake used to be so yeah, you know, small body of water. Coming from the biology background, like, um, you know, it's concerning from one aspect because now we're introducing another invasive. Like we don't have enough of those, right? And then from the sport aspect that you guys are talking about in table fair, it's like, oh yay, you know. But 
I guess I can, I can kind of, and I'm like Mark just said a little while ago on the podcast, like they're going to be in every river system around, right? They're going to, you're going to, I'm going to have them here soon, uh, potentially. And that's like the same thing with feral hogs, right? They're, they're working their way up from the South. Um, it's just, a, you know, everything I know about feral hogs, it's just a matter of time until feral hogs in our backyard. They're great to eat, but I can promise you knowing the devastation they cause to the landscape and the ecosystem, it is not a good thing to have feral hogs in your backyard. You don't want it, you know? <laughs> so I'm just wondering from a, from an angler's perspective and a sport perspective, it's great. But what are, what is the consensus of the biologists and such like that? Uh, the people on the insides with the snakehead, how, how are they treating it? What do they feel about it? You have any insight on that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, it's still uh, fairly new. I mean, they have been here for 20 years, so there's been a lot of research that has gone into figuring out how they're interacting with the ecosystems that they've been introduced to. Mm-hmm. But so far, I mean, through all of these studies, uh, all, all, all of this information, they haven't found uh, any concrete evidence that they have made any negative impact on, you know, any other native populations like chain pickerel or well largemouth bass isn't native to here but bass they're an invasive yeah yeah a lot of people don't even realize that largemouth bass is an invasive species too so yeah yeah i haven't noticed any and we've uh we've gone fishing a buddy of mine down there we've caught the largemouth in the same area that we've been catching snakehead yeah so uh and you know chain pickerel as well yeah uh, yeah no i um I recently started earlier this year a uh, kind of like an apparel brand called Let Them Live, uh, promoting the catch and release of Northern Snakehead. Mm-hmm. Nice. And um, 10% of that profit is actually going towards uh, further research into how Northern Snakehead is uh, is impacting the environment. Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, oh, cool. Like, so 10% of your profit you're dumping back into research on the snakehead so into the resource right exactly exactly yeah, brought that on. Nice. tell me about that that's pretty cool yeah, yeah so uh, i had an like i just had a funny idea of like a sticker of like a bass pointing a bow at a snakehead and like all this controversy going back and forth like are they harming things are they not there's a lot of stuff on facebook all this drama going on um so, you know, I just wanted to like create like a funny sticker t shirt or whatever. And then I was like, huh, you know what? Like, I'm like a firm believer in like, you know, I, I practice catch and release 99% of the time, even though they do taste good to me, they're way more fun to catch. Mm, for sure. But, yeah. So I was like, yep, you know what? I'm just going to start a, start an apparel brand, something to like, you know, uh, uh, spread some education on, uh, how Northern snakehead have actually impacted, you know, these waters that weren't originally home to them. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want, I want to find out more. I want to be able to put a little more money into what's going on to fund these resources to figure out, you know, how are they impacting it? Like in other areas, of course, they're going to have more impact than others. Um, but so far, I mean, Take, for example, uh, this is quoting John Odenkirk, who is a biologist for uh, for Virginia uh, DNR. And he found that since snakehead introduction, uh, the largemouth bass population as as of recent has actually risen. Hmm, Um, Wow. And they've been in the Potomac since 2004. So that definitely shows something that, 
you know, they're not they're not these frankenfish that are just tearing up ecosystems, eating all the panfish, eating all the largemouth. I mean, I, I went on a trip to the Potomac last year, and the only fish I caught was a five pound largemouth. I didn't catch any snakehead. Mm. So yeah, that's you, uh, that's great. I haven't noticed any issue either. Too that's that's some good insight right there. Yeah. So who I could get on a soapbox about it being a game fish, yeah, just like any other a bass or anything else. Yeah. So go ahead, Ryan. I was just curious that it's a. I'm really intrigued by the uh, the funding of the research. Who are you? Who are you giving your funding to? How does that work from your sales? Do you have like? So, a, yeah, walk me through that. So since it's new, I like honestly, I haven't even broken it even yet. So I'm still trying. I don't. I don't have anyone that like. Uh, who that would I, you? I mean, I'm, I'm like, are you? I mean, ultimately. I know from my old background, there's a lot of people looking for funding and anything helps, but you know, there's probably a lot of ways out there to, uh, or at least a few ways, somebody would be glad to work with you on that and even do some promoting for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know anyone yet or haven't talked to anyone about the actual funding, but the one place I'm looking more into funding, if it'd be possible, was definitely the, uh, upper side of the Chesapeake Bay because, I know there's been a lot of research done in Blackwater, um, you know, on the Eastern shore, a lot of research done on the Potomac, but uh, the upper Bay river systems, like the Bush river, the gunpowder, you know, the Susquehanna, like there's, there's only new information starting to come out now. So I would like to um, like to help them out a little bit more. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, speaking of Susquehanna, Mark, I know, I've read uh, when they check the fish ladders at the uh, the dam at the Susquehanna. I know they've I've released numbers. Oh, they got this many snakehead in the fish ladders. Do Do you know of have they made it up past the dam uh, in the Susquehanna? I believe oh, making their way into PA. I believe they have. I know that they're yeah. in PA um, around Philly. Okay, um, and I believe they got in there uh, through the Delaware River. Um, because that whole area, they, they are plentiful. Um, Philadelphia has some, or around that area definitely has some good snakehead fishing. Um, but yes, they are above the dam. So I've heard, don't quote me on it, but I have heard that there are snakehead that have been found above the dam. So yeah, they're going to continue moving up. They're going to continue spreading out and, you know, everything that that water touches, they're going to be, uh, moving into. Mark, do you know anything about like uh, adaptations of the snakehead? For example, I know the uh, um, the Miss Paula fishing vessel Miss Paula. He has a nice YouTube channel. He is all about crabbing. He's a, a waterman on the bay. Uh, very good channel, by the way. But uh, nonetheless, last summer I believe he had some video that uh, he was getting some snakehead in his traps, and that's in the the Chesapeake Bay. And so when you think wow. when you hear that, you're like, well, what about the salinity and how that might impact them? But the it was kind of interesting to know that, you know, wow, they're definitely working their way up and on their own through the bay somehow. Yeah. And apparently the salinity isn't impacting them. Yeah. So they can tolerate salinity to an extent um, because most of these river systems are uh, brackish water. So they're able to tolerate a little salinity. I don't think that they prefer it, but, uh, a buddy, Nick Rogers of mine, actually uh, brought this up to me recently as a way, besides people, you know, spreading them and putting them from one river to another, one way that they've been moving up the bay, um, this concept is kind of like saying that, 
you know, through a rain, you have a bunch of rain and that water is lighter than the salt water in like the bay. So the snakehead are finding a new opportunity to go on and move and they're staying in that, you know, that part of the water column that's on top that has that fresh water and they're just comfortable there moving up, moving up, finding another river system and then kind of like making a stop there and then calling that place home now. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it might be a good point too to mention that just because snakehead are identified as an invasive species, a lot of people think that when you catch them, you have to kill them. Well, at least that is certainly not the case in Maryland. Mm. Uh, you can catch them and release them where you're at. So that's where the whole catch and release and let them live. I like that uh, a lot, Mark. Um, so mm. a lot of, you know, that, that can, that's a common misconception, uh, at least on one of them that I know of, that you have to kill. And that's not the case. And yeah. now if you, if you start moving it, then you, you take it, uh, you do have to expire them then, but you can definitely catch and release them. Interesting. Yeah. It'll be, uh, it, it, the way it sounds like it and the way they look, I wouldn't be surprised if they start walking soon. They look like alligators. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, if you read some stories, they already had walked and everything yeah. else. I mean, yeah. technically they can walk, but they're not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. They were yeah, kind of like a, the water. Yeah. Shimmer, you might be able to go, but they're not getting up and walking to another water, a body yeah. of water. Yeah. For like sure. They, they have the ability to live out of the water and breathe oxygen. Uh, I think I think for about two days, give or take. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they I, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but they have like a second way of breathing that they can live. So, like a lot of people, when you know they catch a snakehead, they bash it in the head, throw it in the cooler. You know, five hours pass when they get home. They get home and they open the cooler, and the thing's flopping around. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know that there certainly is an amount of time that they can live out outside of water, but yeah, yeah it's, it's not like they got legs and they're really uh, walking across. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, yeah. They don't want the body don't. water. Yeah. So the people, when you mentioned it sometimes in shallow water, I think Rob mentioned it, you jump them. Um, do people bow fish for them? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, definitely, as more time goes on, they get, uh, heavy bow pressure um a lot of people going out at night you know setting up the rigs with the lights and then taking people out and oh yeah just, yep yep tearing them up um and we definitely have seen especially places like the the gunpowder river the potomac river like those numbers have been driven down because of bow fishing yeah unfortunately oh, i'm all for you know someone wants to fish with whatever um but uh yeah that, that definitely that's not letting them live there. That's for sure. But you know, if you want a bowfish, go out and get all they those. Can, they can live for two yeah. days out of water. Maybe an arrow won't kill them. Yeah, <laughs> you know what's crazy? I have caught and I've seen people that have caught multiple fish that have uh, a arrow. hole from from an arrow that went through them, and they're chugging along just fine. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know some people that uh, fish for carp and catch them with arrow holes in them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, that's interesting you mentioned that, Mark. Uh, two, so two weeks ago, uh, a coworker of mine, Jeff, and I headed down to the Eastern Shore. He caught his uh, personal best. I believe it was it was ten and a half pounds, uh, like thirty four inches. But damn, uh, you know, sure enough, on the top of it, because it kind of looked like you know, and had an injury on top of it. There was a 
a plate, you know, hole where someone was bow fishing it and it just, just hit the near top of it. So, but yeah, it, it was the biggest one that I've seen. Yeah. That's and, a nine. Uh, that yeah, that 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 was a, a good catch for him too. I think it, definitely his personal best. I've never caught any of that big, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that that you've seen that uh, the bow, the bow scar on a snakehead too. Yeah, hmm. they're super hardy fish. Like I've actually had a, a buddy of mine who we were fishing for him, and he caught one and he wanted to take it home to eat, and he bashed it in the head, threw it on the stringer. And uh, about three hours later or so, he looked down on the stringer and it's gone. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, so it, like it might it might it might have just like woke back up and then you know flipped itself off. Wow! Yeah, that's interesting. So on to uh, the, on catching them. Do you have any uh, techniques or you know special baits or anything that you uh, find that work best for you? I mean, you know, we're not giving away spots for sure. Egg bobber or night crawler. <laughs> there you go that might work i know a yeah. lot of people in the winter time they like to put a minnow under a bobber and that, that certainly works when the temperatures are low really yeah yeah a lot a lot of people especially in the early season and uh late season after after they kind of shut down through the fall um a lot of people will go with a minnow under a bobber um and that's definitely effective uh I prefer more lures. I like to, you know, fool them into eating. Um, and I'd say between two to three lures, my number one, my number one, two, and three would be uh, for topwater, the high octane custom baits Frogzilla. Um, nice. The thing was built, it was designed, and uh, it's, it's ready to handle uh, snakehead taking a beating. Um, Steve over at High Octane uh, spent almost a year developing this frog, you know, two target snakehead. It's got super, super stout hooks. Um, the body can handle a lot without ripping or tearing. Um, it's got great action, can be walked easily, popped easily. It's an awesome frog, and um, it definitely uh, can help generate, you know, reaction strikes, especially with, uh, so the frog sits at a 45-degree angle, in the water it doesn't sit flat so as you're popping that frog your nose can be bouncing up and down so a lot of the times when i'm using a frog like that especially uh an area that i haven't really seen fish or i'm not sure if they're there i'll be working that frog pretty quickly and you know bouncing its nose up and down and i'll wait until one i mean if they eat it or two i'll pop 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 and then I'll wait until I see like a, like a wake or see a snake like turn around under the water, just a swirl, and then kind of work it slowly from there. Because at that point, I know it's got its eyes on it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there is nothing like a topwater bite on snakehead. It is just something to experience. It is yeah. so fun when they just you know will latch on to that, and it's they're so fun to catch. Yeah, it's but, the pop, the snakehead pop. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, you know, you can yeah the right at the mm, you know yep. top of the water. It's almost like they come up to the water, and, you know, and you can hear that and you know yeah. cast over a little frog or something over there. You know, uh, yeah, good times. Yeah, yeah, that pop sound uh, here in my dreams. I love that sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first time I went uh, for snakehead, we we get got there early. Uh, friend of mine, you know, and we we heard a lot of that, and we were just so novice. I had no idea. It was like wow. You know, just all those pops, and it was just a perfect uh, topwater bite in the morning. Um, and 
you know, it, it's, it, I haven't, it's, it's not something you hear all the time. The conditions got to be right. I think at least from what I found, but yeah, it's yeah. just so cool. It, that's all you hear is just going around. Yep. And, just, yep. and a lot uh, of the times you don't even see it's because what they're doing is they create a vacuum with their mouth. Basically they create that suction. It's not like they're coming up and like, you know, just biting down on it. Yeah. They're creating that, that suction and it's just the, the frog disappears. Um, and it, it happens so quick. Sometimes you can't even see it go down. It's just, it's there. You hear that pop and the frog is gone. And then it's yeah. time. So what else do they eat topwater bait wise? Um, uh, other than frogs, I mean, a lot of people, it's very similar, like a hollow body mouse. Um, buzz baits work well. Um, and uh, like it's a ribbit like frog. Mouth bass stuff. Sorry? Typical like large mouth bass stuff. Catch yep. It. Yep. Yep. And uh subsurface wise, um, you know, I love the high octane mini weedless trident, which is basically a shrunken up inline spinner. Um that it's not a treble hook on the back, it has uh a swim bait hook with a three to four inch paddle tail on the back that you can interchange and Typically, when the bite is pretty finicky, that that can sometimes get them fired up because it looks super realistic. It's got some flash to it. You know, you got either a gold or a silver blade um, fluttering, and then you've got a minnow-like um, minnow-like profile on the back, so it's hard for them to resist. Nice. You mentioned the high high octane custom bait, the uh, that frog, and how adorable it is. That is key. I've never used a high octane custom bait. Maybe I will after this. So, you know, look those up. But I tell you, some of the frogs, the typical companies out there that make them, uh, there's a lot of time, you know, a buddy of mine will be using that. And I mean, sometimes you'll get one, right. you know, one on them and they just rip it apart. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Making it adorable. Uh, I'll definitely have to uh, grab some of those. So, you know, to last more than one, the one hookup on them. Yeah, yeah, no, those those things can take a beating, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and same same with all the high octane baits like the inline spinner and the finesse chatter. Like all of it's made with O fifty two wire musky grade material, so you're not getting bent up. Because the same thing will happen to people, uh, you know, going to Bass Pro, grabbing like uh, whatever spinner bait catching one on it and then the thing is just trashed by the time it gets back yeah. to the boat i've been there yeah i know what you mean yeah for sure they got so, some vicious teeth man that's for sure it's a crazy looking fish they look, they look really cool mounted i think do you have any any taxidermy snakeheads um i definitely plan on it one day i don't personally have any but i've seen some other people that have gotten them done and it's it's pretty badass it's yeah. definitely awesome yeah, that's a pretty sick looking fish. You know, kind of like uh, they do European mounts of deer heads, Ryan. Yeah. I'd love to get, and I found on YouTube one guy that showed a video of uh, he was doing that basic concept on a snakehead uh, really? head. So that would be pretty neat. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's all right to keep uh, one here and there, right? But I I definitely like your let them live uh, yeah. approach there and uh you know but the problem is eventually started. if you let them all live then you're going to have a problem so eventually right if they become a game species they're going to almost require you to take some yeah exactly sizes yeah. or you know yeah this that and the other balance is key you know what I mean? that, yeah that's what I was gonna say. balance yeah i mean 
there's some people that love them that just want to eat them all. And then there's some people, you know, that just want to catch and release. And either way, I mean, there's no problem with it. Just with the whole let them live thing. I kind of wanted to get rid of that kill them all. Like they must all like just be decimated from, you know, these river systems, which one, it's impossible. You're never getting rid of them. There's too many. They repopulate too quickly. And uh, yeah, I mean, they just haven't done the damage that uh, that the media is putting out there. I can certainly see why they would have been concerned in the early years, like just looking at them. I'm like, oh boy, that's the last thing we need in our river system. Everything's going to yeah. be dead. You know what I mean? Like, so I completely understand, you know, pushing panic buttons when you see a fish that looks like a snakehead that comes from Asia that's not a native here, you know, in the Potomac, if you will, or making its way up the Susquehanna and just eating, you know, one game fish after another. But, you know, if you say it's not the case and they've been here for 20 years and, you know, studies are showing that they're not as invasive, quote unquote, as people once thought, man, that's cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's with anything like, you know, the land mammals. I mean, you got the wolves and you have the coyotes and, you know, man, the wolf right now in, in the West is, Depends who you talk to. You know, some some people want them all dead, and other people want them managed. You know, they're part of the landscape. Um, right. You know, and it's back to that book, Rob, uh, the Sand County Almanac, and Aldo mm-hmm. Leopold. You know, are the founding father of conservation, and everything has its place. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, so it's it's uh, finding that balance and and listening. Here, here I go. Follow the science, right? Let <laughs> <laughs> the scientists tell you. That's what they're out there doing. Um, yeah. studying that stuff and listen to their recommendations but it's a pretty if everything works out man that's a i like the idea of fishing for those because it reminds me of hunting you know what i mean like yeah kind of creeping around in the shallows uh low light conditions as yeah. rob put it you're jumping some fish every now and again you know and you're trying to be as inconspicuous as possible uh it's kind of like fishing for native uh trout a little bit rob like up north around penn state and, and such um, you know, no small streams and you're just tucked in behind a log and throwing a little fly trying to get those natives to bite. Um, not as, not as aggressive, obviously as a, whatever, a two foot snakehead. Um, but still that's a, there's a lot of, uh, uh, hide and seek there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's about the balance that's key, you know, let them live. Um, you know, it's the, it's the folks that just go out and just catch them and, just uh, because they're invasive and they, they feel like they're being a do-gooder at it and, and removing them. But, uh, you know, when you talk to folks like Mark and all these other guys out there that fish for them all the time, they're seeing, they're, they're seeing the real, you know, the real signs of it, right? They're, they're still catching bass and they're not seeing the impacts that uh, were originally uh, thought or scared that, you know, that they w- w- would be out there. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the reproduction, Mark, speaking of that, talk about the, the fry balls. So, you know, and this is something that I haven't really been on to nail down when I've been researching the snakehead on the web. How many times uh, do you have a feel? How many times are they reproducing a year? And I think I might've saw a fry ball one time, but what it would experience that is. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You know, do you, do you have anything, you know, to share on that and th- your experience? Yeah. Yeah. So, Fry tell the listeners what a fry ball is, I guess, to start off. So, yeah. Right, right. So, a fry ball is basically so two snakehead. Actually, it's starting to happen now in some areas. They're starting okay. to spawn. The bite starts to shut down a little bit. 
um, or sometimes completely if they're all starting to pair up and start spawning. But you know, they'll 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 be together. They'll do what I call the dragon dance, and then you know, a few weeks later, um, few weeks, then they have their kiddos and. Basically, the snakehead fry, they can range from jet black to uh, very, like, orangey. And the cool thing about fry balls is that they have to surface. They have to have oxygen, and they stay in a ball form. So if you're around them, they uh, they can be easy to spot. Um, and unless they've been touched, uh, there's typically both parents guarding the fry ball to uh keep you know other predators from eating them and uh you know either a topwater frog or like something that's creating like a lot of ruckus like a swim bait or uh you know a bladed jig running through there like it can be a lot of fun you know ca- catching those fish because it's sight fishing for them at that point and uh you know they're there um but as for how often they can reproduce and you know, Ryan, you're right. It was definitely like a scary thing. You know, when these fish were first introduced, people were like, oh, these fish come uh, reproduce, you know, multiple times a year. Uh, so obviously that was definitely understandable to be a concern at first, but uh, they have the capability, as far as I know, they have the capability to spawn five to six times a year, I believe. Wow. But, but I don't, I think that's, you know, one fish out of a hundred something like that. I, I think for the most part what we're seeing is two maybe three spawns a year the the big spawn the first spawn is uh about to happen now in some areas some of those areas but the darker shallower warmer water starting to get to that 70 to 75 range where the snakehead bite shuts down they start pairing up they don't want to eat um and then they stay paired up until, you know, mom is ready to hatch. Yeah, that's interesting. And so when they have that fry ball, I think one of the neat things about snakehead at that point in time, which I think you alluded to, you cast into there, even though they're not actively, you know, um, feeding or something, they're there to, to protect the fry ball. Yeah, yeah that, that that is that's pretty neat. That's neat from a species standpoint and how snakehead do that. So, you know, a lot of people will see a fry ball and they'll throw around it and uh, they'll just get that reaction bite, you know, from the snakehead just to protect the fry. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I can't wait until fry balls come around because every time my, uh, my stomach starts fluttering, I get really excited seeing a fry ball. Nice. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So about the, oh, I don't know, we're approaching the end of April, early May is when you would typically see that first spawn. Yeah, yeah. So right now in some areas I've seen a few paired up um but generally on, you know, the warmer uh the east side of the bay where it gets warmer quicker in that dark shallow water um that they're they're starting to now there um and then the west side which takes a little while to heat up um it's it's going to happen you know at some point through may um early june gotcha when you say west side so a lot of um some youtube uh content creators that i watch like cambo trout he has a good channel i don't know if you're familiar with cambo trout yeah Uh, he's got definitely some good content you know yeah a lot lot of 
a lot of great tips, a lot of great yeah. content for but, sure. You know, he says West Side. I I think he's referring to like the Potomac side and stuff like that up the Potomac. Yeah, yeah. So if you take a a line, actually, you know, you can't see it. It's a map behind me, but uh, right, yeah. Um, the listeners can't see it, but we can see it. So, right, yeah. right. So if you take a line straight down the middle of the Chesapeake Bay, gotcha. Everything right. on the west of that is yeah. west side, and then everything the east is east side. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. Well, we certainly, like I think we mentioned before, we're not blowing up any spots for sure. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it definitely intrigues me. Um, I was actually kind of just reading here real quick about some of the impacts that snakeheads may or may not have on the ecosystem, which is, uh, I just can't get over how ugly they are, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah the, they the, are. The cases are definitely a little scary looking. Right. But if you if you catch that, you know, I don't know, maybe like that slot between 18 to 24 and, you know, you hold it up like, you know, especially you, Mark, you, you got a lot of nice pictures of some nice looking snakehead on your Instagram channel. And, you know, you hold up that smaller in that slot. They can be really nice looking fish. You can see the nice pattern on them. It, mm-hmm. I, I find that, you know, the bigger they are, they, they seem to get darker. But uh, you definitely got a lot of content on there. Some nice steakhead that you've got in that slot range. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely I've noticed that too. A lot of the younger fish um, are definitely having a lot, a lot, lot more prettier patterns where it's really distinct between that black white and brown of that uh of those spots across their body um and also talking again about east versus west side uh the east side in that dark water they definitely have more of that that brown to like black Mm. especially when they get bigger uh type look and on the on the west side where the water's clear it seems like a lot more fish like stay with like pronounced patterns and stay like very very pretty Interesting. And, you know, I, I know we got some, uh, a couple Bubba, the hunter listeners in, in Florida and outside of just our, our little, uh, our area, tri-state area here. So aside from, I know they're, they have what the bullseye snakehead in Florida. And of course, you know, the Northern snakehead that we're familiar with around the, the Chesapeake Bay area. Um, you know, aside from those areas, Mark, do you know uh, any other areas, uh, snakehead fishing across the States? Yes, yeah, so um, the Northerns, um, they are established in Maryland, Virginia, um, starting to work their way into PA a little bit. New Jersey, Delaware, established, also starting to work their way into uh, New York. Hmm. Um, and actually, I found this out recently, but there is like a very well-established population in Arkansas. Huh. Um, interesting yeah i i'm not sure for how long but it's been quite some time but for whatever reason like i think they're in a river down there but for whatever reason they've uh it seems like they've stayed in that one area um i'm i'm not sure why i know they've done a lot to get rid of them down there so maybe that's what's keeping them in that that one spot um yeah 
you know, a friend of mine, we always, we joke about the fact that, you know, we watch Bassmaster and stuff like that. It would be so awesome to see someone on the Elite Series, like fishing Santa Cooper, for example, somewhere in South Carolina and around that area, just land a snakehead on live TV. Maybe we don't want that to happen. Even if if they were happen, happen to be there, maybe we want to keep them under wraps or something. I don't know. Yeah. But that would be so fun to see that happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's cool. I've seen... um some of like the older professional you know bass fishermen like mike iconelli like catching snakehead and oh i can only imagine the ike just goes <laughs> totally nuts catching a snake yeah and yeah, he yeah. goes nuts over catching bass and stuff on it oh he yeah is su- such a fun a thrill to watch yeah definitely definitely him him and the snakehead i'm sure make great friends oh yeah for sure <laughs> mike iconelli yeah. Ryan, you got anything else? No, I'm just kind of novice. Like I said, this is out. This is out of my wheelhouse. So I am certainly the student. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, how about you? You close this out, and uh, you know, I I like the whole "let them live" mantra um, and making it a game fish. So I could I can't stress that enough on here. That would be just great to to make it a game fish, and that is awesome to awesome to see that uh, on your instagram page and thanks for thanks for doing that and uh anything we can do to help uh let them live uh move forward and and push push the cause further we certainly will do here at bubble the hunter podcast for sure yeah yeah well yeah i really appreciate that um let them live is definitely going to be around and i'm going to continue pushing that further um I've been busy recently with school and all, but that's coming to an end of the semester. So this summer I'm going to have some new designs, some new apparel coming out and uh, yeah, going to be out there fishing as much as I can and letting them live. Good deal. And using those high octane custom baits too. So uh, thanks for sharing that. I think I might have to look, look up some of those, especially the high octane custom baits uh, frogs they got. I, I suppose we can just Google high octane custom baits and find their site yep yep either yeah just you can order right off the website and then since you said uh you're in the annapolis area they uh they have them at uh bay country at anglers Um, okay oh anglers that's that's a big popular spot down here anybody that's fishing the eastern shore maryland knows anglers for sure yep yep yeah good deal yeah good deal well uh hey mark thanks a lot Um, Yeah, mark it was awesome man yeah, good talk, man. And maybe we could uh, ha- have another a round two as the as the end of the summer approaches, and you can tell us how your season went and uh, any tournaments that you might get into. And I'm sure you have some good content on Instagram between now and then. So uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on here. And yeah, love talking snakehead. And yeah, it was great. A lot of fun. Good deal. Very right, Mark. Thanks. All right. Yep. Yeah.